Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's August 12, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott. Happy to be home, Long. For a while there, we were wondering, we were taking bets, uh, if you were actually going to make it home. <laughs> really didn't seem like that, you know. I, uh, you know, obviously we talked last week on the show about all the uh, plane troubles I was having. And then, of course, of course, yep. of course, Monday, I get off and I'm at the airport and I'm there bright and early and third in line at Delta counter. And all of a sudden, uh, no Delta worker there yet. And then I see the American workers show up and start processing their passengers. And I see the JetBlue workers show up and processing the JetBlue passengers. And I'm like, where's your Delta person? I, I, I'm going to raise some heck <laughs> Delta about this. And then uh, then they kept getting later, and there's still money there, and the Delta line's getting longer, so I actually Google, And that's when I find out, of course, of course, of course, Delta had a major computer meltdown on the day that I'm flying Delta on the trip that I'm flying Southwest. And they had a meltdown, and my flight got canceled, and on the trip. But I fly American, and they had a mechanical problem, and I had to stay in Pittsburgh for a night. So, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. And then, of course, then I'm like, hey, guys, uh, don't have some kind of computer problems. And everybody stares at me like I'm an idiot. I'm like, yeah, we know. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's early. I didn't know. <laughs> um, and uh, so, literally, I was in line at the American counter to buy a ticket to get out of there. And uh, you will appreciate this, Chris, being the uh, cheap person as well, too. It was going to cost me about 200 bucks more than the flight I had on Delta, but I wasn't sure the flight on Delta was going to happen, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, I got to get out of here because I have, you know, non-refundable stuff in Toronto, so it's going to cost me more not to go to Toronto than it would be to to, to sit around. So uh, I went over there, and I was on my phone, and I'm like, all right, so it's going to cost me 200 bucks more. And all right, I'm like, hey, I need to buy a ticket. She's like, okay, it's going to be 400 bucks. And I'm like, well, it's 386 online. She's like, well, it's 400 here. And I'm like, I don't understand, but that's all right. And she's like, and I got to charge you a $45 fee for buying a ticket at the counter. I'm like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> Not going to do that. So I'm like, literally, if I step two feet out of line here and I book this on my phone, uh, it'd be $45 cheaper. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, but it says I can't book it on my phone. She's like, well, you should be able to. And I'm like, whatever. So I get out of line, get my laptop up. Literally getting ready to book it, and the Delta lady comes on the, uh, hey, well, our computer systems are back up. We're going to try to get these early morning flights out. We don't know when, but we're going to try to get them out. And I like, slammed that laptop shut, got back, and, and now a huge line because I'm at the end of the line. Yeah. And uh, ended up making it to Toronto only four hours later. So anyhow, Air Canada got me back on time, so I'm very excited about that. But uh, one more travel story before we talk about the rest of poker, though. But uh, I was uh, taking the uh, train. In Toronto, moved to the airport yesterday, and free Wi-Fi, fast Wi-Fi too. Love it. I'm on there, blah 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 blah, researching for the show. I'll find out that uh, Bavada 
is uh, sold its poker business, and we're going to talk about that next week because I didn't have time to put it on the show file this week because the train would not let me access a poker website. <laughs> and I find this hilarious because uh, maybe once a month, maybe a little bit more often than that, I get an email from one of our listeners that says, I'm so frustrated, I can't access AndyUpMagazine.com at work. They have a blocker on it. <laughs> I'm like, what horrible things do we have on our website yeah. <laughs> that are keeping people from... And I'm like, I don't understand that. And then this is the first time I've actually ever been blocked from my own uh, website. Actually, I didn't go to my own website, so I don't know whether our website was blocked too. But Poker News and all the other news sites were blocked on the Toronto train. So if you're interested in keeping up to date on the poker world, uh, do not do it on the uh, very quick and easy 25-minute train ride from Toronto Pearson Airport to Union Station. I mean, what's really weird about that is you can play online poker there. But you can't oh, go to an online poker site. Well, it's again, it's the Wi, it's the Wi-Fi from the train. Right. So they're they're blocking. They, they don't it. want you watching pornos there. I'm sure on the train, right? So, and I guess you can't just stop at pornos. You know, somebody you know got into the uh, sin police get there and just spread it to poker. Oh, it's but, sad. But kind of funny though. Like uh, at least it didn't come. It didn't have a. It just said, "Hey, sorry, uh, uh, this website has content that we've uh, blocked." At least it didn't have like some like alarm bell that went off my laptop and <laughs> alerted everyone to my perviness on the train so people could stare at me. Uh, but anyhow, so I'm back from the Antioch World Championship and uh, our main event ended at 2 a.m. My flight was at 6 a.m. or was supposed to be at 6 a.m. <laughs> it ended up being later. And uh, our world champion is, drumroll, we don't know! <laughs> Not even making this up. We don't know. <laughs> so here's what happened is that uh, it was 9 o'clock or so, and then Garrett Roth, our great Northern California ambassador, came over, and he was taking photos for the event. And I'm like, hey, Garrett, man, I got a flight at 6 a.m. tomorrow. Do you mind uh, writing the story tonight for us? He's like, absolutely. I'm like, great. I'm going to get some sleep. So I get some sleep, set my alarm for 2 a.m. to get up for my 6 a.m. flight that did not go off at 6 a.m., by the way, in case you haven't heard and literally the event ended at 1.45, so 15 minutes before I got up, and I wake up to an email from Garrett saying, hey, the winner uh, did not want to be identified or photographed, so I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So here's what happened. Um, turns out this guy is super nice, according to people that were there. He just, for whatever reason, uh, did not want to be identified or photographed. I don't know, witness protection program, owes somebody a lot of money. Uh, wife doesn't know he's there. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, did not want to be identified. Um, and because we were not doing a live stream this year, there were no media release forms necessary, or at least we thought <laughs> they weren't necessary. So no one signed anything, um, essentially forcing them to appear on the cover of our magazine. Um, and so fortunately, uh, Ben Rowan and the great staff there at Thunder Valley was... Um, um, uh, Cleo-like in anticipating this problem and having a player of the series um, race this year. So Dalton still, who is our player of the series, will appear on our cover this month. But a couple things that were really interesting about this is uh, one, um, you know, you know how you've ever been hit by a two-outer at the table, Chris? Mm -hmm. That sucks, right? Yeah. Um, so our company in Thunder Valley was actually. Uh, hit by a two-outer on this. So the other guy that got to finish second had this guy dead to rights. The guy had two outs on the river. 
hit one of them. Jeez. And they went on to win, and now we're in this predicament that we are. Had uh, he not hit one of those two outs, uh, presumably the second place person would be happy to be on the cover of our magazine. We would be talking about this right now, as fucking as it sounds. Um, but the second thing is, um, you know, if I'm going to enter a tournament where part of the prize is appearing on the cover of a national poker magazine, and for whatever reason, I have no desire to even let anybody do live updates on me. I mean, the entire final table, he was DNR. That's what we referred to him as. Uh, maybe that's not the tournament to enter. Am I crazy? You think? Uh, yeah, I just can ever see this imagining happening to the November 9 or the World Poker Tour. You know, it, it has oh, a lot sure, to do. Sure. has yeah, a lot to do with branding. Has a lot to do with you know, if you're going to be on television, it's obvious. Sometimes it's not obvious. You're going to be on the cover of our magazine, and guy just says, "I want to play in a big tournament." You never know. But a lot of it has to do with respect too. These people sometimes they just don't respect what the process is, or who we are, or whatever, or we haven't been around long enough in their minds, or or something. But you don't enter a tournament and not. You know, if you, if you know you have a chance to be on the on the cover of a magazine, if you knew that going in, then he shouldn't have entered. You know, or something. I mean, or we should have done something. We should. Have, I know you said that if it was a if it was a, a stream or whatever, we would have gotten him to sign releases. But and you know, and, I, and it doesn't matter to me because if this guy doesn't want to be on the cover, I don't want him on my cover, and I'm fine with that. And we, we've done this before. We've had players of the series on the cover instead, which is probably a more prestigious thing anyway to to have to get through that many different fields and different. You know, disciplines or whatever, and earn that many more points to, you know, it, it's it's sort of like the, you know, MVP in in baseball. You know, do you get the guy who who wins the one game at the end of the year to get you in the playoffs? Is he the MVP of the team, or is he the guy who you know was consistently right. all year? So I, I'm fine with this guy being on the cover. I'm happy for him, and he deserves to be on the cover anyway. It's just it's just it doesn't make any sense to me why you'd enter an event that you know could result in you being adored on this cover, and you're not even. You know, uh, I don't know. Just just drives me crazy. Yeah, and actually, um, I'm, I'm curious to get some feedback from our listeners on this because I have been thinking about this for a while um, before this problem came up. That you know, I always, in a perfect world, I would think the player of the series is who ends up on the cover anyhow because they're the ones that had the, the most um, success the entire series long. Um, but a couple problems with that is that it may, I mean, that requires you to take. You can't pose a photo with it, which is what we like to do to make our clients happy. Right. You, know, you got to do, and then you got to shoot a bunch of photos of a bunch of people, and then you know, hope the one <laughs> that you have a good photo of is the one that winner. So logistically, it's a little bit of a problem. Um, but also, it's a you know, again, we're in the in the business of getting people into a poker room, and um, part of our sales pitch to our Andy up poker tour properties is that you know the winner of the main event is going to appear on the cover, and that's a driver to get people to come play that one event. Um, and I think it loses its luster a little bit if you say the player of the series. Because now, if you are somebody that lives four hours away, um, you can get on a plane or get in a car and get there and play one event for a weekend pretty easily, right? Yeah. But now if you have to take the entire week off of work and play a bunch of events, uh, that severely limits the number of people that would be enticed by that prize, or what we consider a prize. <laughs> this guy did not think it was a prize, but... Um, so that's kind of why I think the main event winner needs to be on the the magazine cover, even though the player of the series is probably more deserving. But it all worked out here in this case. Still frustrating, though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the main event was good news. Other than that, uh, I put a five hundred thousand dollar guarantee on it, which is the biggest guarantee ever for a world. I mean, uh, Andy Up event. 
Um, and I think the one of the bigger guarantees in Thunder Valley. Um, it did not swing it at all. Prize pool ended up around six hundred eight thousand. Um, people came out from all over. Lots of uh, pros were there. Big name pros showed up this year, so it was a good field. It was fun to watch, and um, you know we just got a little lucky on unlucky on the end. But uh, but uh, Dalton still, uh, you know, he, he is a really interesting guy. Uh, plays mostly online, but now is starting to play live a little bit. And uh, he won the first event that one that I talked to you about last week. They had sixteen hundred entrants. Mm-hmm. And um, and then shopped another big multi-day one. So he's very good on the multi-day events. Um, and then he had to sweat at the end. He and uh, Matt Bordorf, uh, one of our uh, longtime listeners, shared Annie up. Uh, all-around great guy. They both entered the heads-up event, which is the last event that the player of the series counted for. So the first 15 events of the 20 events. And the reason they stopped it at 15 was because the winner of the player of the series got a main event seat as well, too. Right. Um, so they go into event 15 and for Matt to overtake Dalton he had to win the heads up event 64 player field and Dalton could not cash which would be the top 8 so a little excitement right Yeah. Um, Dalton gets knocked out in the first round Matt advances and then Matt makes it to the final 4 holy cow and then we're at this party, which we're going to tell you about a little bit for a main event, um, early registrants. When he comes in, he's like, it's over. And we're like, did you win? He's like, no, we chopped it four ways. And we're like, you chopped it? I didn't chop it. And he's like, I know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so by chopping it, he also gave up the chance to play the series title. But um, in his mind and the other players, it was going to go late into the night, maybe even to the early morning. And uh main event was starting the next day, so... Um, they all kind of won some sleep and uh, made a deal. Um, but um, so speaking of, uh, and then Dalton obviously is our player this year. So uh, two good friends though. They they both like each other a lot, and just a little interesting sweat there going into the end. Um, uh, and if you think it's hard when you get that on your line watching people play in a multi-table tournament, imagine sitting there watching a heads-up match and then watching the guy win and then move on to the next one. And watch yeah, him yeah. Move on to the next one. Uh, it, it's really the odds of winning a heads-up event are very difficult. So um, so a couple things I want to talk to you about the heads-up event. Um, I did have this conversation with one of uh, the players in my bracket about um, what's harder, winning the main event, which had 414 entries, I think, uh, 1650 buy-in, or winning this heads-up event, which had a $400 buy-in and 63 entries. So we actually came one short of filling it up. I, I think the main event is probably harder. When you're playing, I mean, I understand heads-up, but you're, you're constantly playing one person when you're heads-up, and it's, you know, it, it could be coin flips, and yeah, that might be, that might be hard and stuff. But, I mean, really, when you're playing heads-up, You've only got a few matches to win, whereas the main event like that, you're constantly playing ten people for four or five days or whatever, and it's it's a huge field. Well, you're into it three days, but I mean two days. I mean, well, whatever. I'm just saying it. It just depends on how big it is sometimes. But uh, yeah, to me, even if it's one day, getting through a field of 400 people versus you know eight matches or whatever the hell it is, it, it, it's to me it just seems like that would be a lot harder. A lot more landmines to dodge you know I, I it's hard I, I've done some heads up stuff and I don't know I, th- I think the main event is harder um, I don't necessarily disagree but this is why I would say the heads up is um, incredibly difficult so one um, 
in a multi-table tournament, you know, you fold your cards and then you, you get a break, right? You mm-hmm. know, the people are playing. Obviously, you should pay, you pay attention however you plays, but you essentially are not involved in the hand after you fold. And if you fold three or four hands in a row, you, you've got like kind of a mini mental break, right? Mm-hmm. Heads up, as soon as you fold your cards, there are two more cards right in front of you in a minute. <laughs> Right? right. So there are absolutely no breaks until the end of your series, uh, your match, um, and then there's a guaranteed five minute break. It could be longer depending on how the people play, but so you get a chance to recharge. Five, I promise you, if your match goes late, five minutes is not enough to recharge. You know, you got to run to the bathroom, grab a drink, come back, sit down, and then um, get right back into a nonstop hour and a half match. And these matches were going hour and a half each. Um, so you have that, but then you also have to figure out how your opponent plays. Now, granted, just one person, not you know, eight others, and then rotating other people coming in. But you got to understand how this one player plays. Figure out a strategy to beat him. Um, get lucky when you need to, um, and then after you dispatch him or her, then you've got a new one that you've got to start all over on, and you've got to do that five times. I think that's incredibly difficult. Well, draining. All I'm all I'm saying is is that if if it's still like in other words, you, there's also a, a different way to look at that too. If you take the positive of that, that you're looking at, hey, we can totally you know flip that situation, and now the other person is that is that it's difficult for that person too, or the fact that you're playing someone that you can now reset and start all over as. You know, what I mean, if you're the person that. Uh, last hand or last person you were playing at was you know you were the tight guy you know you can still mix it up and change the way you play a match can end on one hand and be done there was one that ended in four hands yeah I mean heads up is just a different animal you know it's just a different animal and it's just I understand why it's difficult but I think wading through 400 people 400 different players 400 different approaches it, it. I realize you're only playing nine or ten at a time, and it's it really have to beat those ten, and then beat those ten, and then beat whatever. But it's to me, it's just I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's harder. It, it, it's a diff- They're all difficult. They're all difficult because how many times do you actually win a tournament? Right. Um. But if I had to put them next to each other, I would rather play heads up. If I if somebody said you have to win a tournament tomorrow, so you're like, okay, which is it going to be? You're going to try to get through five matches, or you're going to try to play for two straight days against 400 different people which would you rather do and i'm like eh, i think i'd rather play just five people you know and take my chances with a coin flip for the entire match to move over you know what i mean i don't know it just feels like the the multi table is di- more difficult but they're probably equally difficult in their own ways if you could really weigh them well a couple more things about this heads up so um uh, sean mccormick the director of poker of ari at las vegas actually was up for this event and nice guy by the way and um he was in my bracket, and I'm like, well, this is going to be awkward if we end up playing with each other. But uh, fortunately, Andy Pham, the Andy of NorCal champion last year, took him out um, to avoid that awkwardness for me. I feel bad for Sean, of course, right? Right. Um, but he came over to me after his match was done, and he's like, and I'm like, yeah, out? And he's like, and he's just shaking his head, like, you know, in disbelief. And I'm like, he's like, and, you know, we all hate hearing bad beat stories, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, he's like, yeah, I had King Deuce, and the board came nine Deuce Deuce, and I lost to a guy holding seven five. Figure that one out. <laughs> so I'm like, you gotta be kidding! It was six eight runner runner. And he's like six eight runner runner. <laughs> wow, I was wondering if it was like seven seven or five five. That's crazy. 
<laughs> I mean, well, first of all, what's 7-5? I mean, did he not bet the flop? Or, I mean, how does 7-5 stick around unless it was well, a big bluffing? Up, yeah, so, big bluffing know, well, thing. You got to play a wide, uh, really wide range and heads up. It depends. You know, if you're on the button, I'm playing a bunch of different hands. No, I mean, how did he get to the turn? I mean, how do you get to the turn with 7-5 unless it's well, a bluffing again, you're situation? Well, you're up against King Deuce, too, right? So you get a lot of these hands. I mean, a lot of the hands up in my matches were, you know, there were, I will tell you right now, oh, well, I'm going to skip ahead in the story because I actually won two matches, yay me. But um, there was not a single in any of my three matches, single three bet, free flop. Wow, Yeah. So it was, you know, somebody raised and another person called. I mean, it was a very conservative field um, in terms of how the play is. So I don't know how it happened in this particular hand, but I would not be surprised if it was either a call check or a raise call, and then that board comes, and then, you know, on a board like that, you know, heads up. A lot of heads up is just who bets, right? You know. I'm assuming the 7-5 was the button then. Because he raises wow. free flop, king deuce calls, and he checks to him to trap him, and then he bets and he calls, and on a turn it goes six eight or something, and he, you know, six or an eight, and then he's like, okay, I got a gutter now, and that's got to be it. Other than that, there's just I can't imagine seven five getting to the turn no matter what, unless we just slow played it ridiculously. But again, that's what makes heads up so difficult. I mean, like, there's lots of things like this where you know you'd bet on the end with an ace high. Okay, I want to change my answer then. Heads up's harder than uh, no. <laughs> well, feels. I mean, I guess I mean that's what I'm trying to get at is that you know in, in a nine player table there's a lot of dynamics going on where you can put people on hand ranges and things like that it's much much more difficult to do it heads up because you know somebody could have bottom pair yeah and feel it's a nuts and it might be <laughs> heads up yeah um at the same time you could flop a flush i mean it happens right and then you could be trapping and then you got to figure out you know in one of my matches the guy beat me out of three pots with a flush and i'm like that's not gonna be unheard of how, how am i still in this tournament right how, how have I not given you all my chips? Because <laughs> yeah, every time I've had either two pair or a pair or something. Um, but it's just difficult because you can't figure out what people are on. And, you know. But anyhow, um, I actually uh, have never won a match in the heads up out there ever. Right? I keep entering just because I think it's fun. You don't get to play heads up very much. It's a right. very expensive tournament for a casino to run, so not a lot of them run it. Uh, but I enjoy playing it, and uh, so I sat down, and my first guy was like, "Oh man, you know they're doing they do a bracket draw, which is really exciting in the morning. You know they pull your name out and tell you where to go, right?" And I sat down, the guy was like, "Yeah, they pulled out all the best players in the tournament's names," and I thought I was coasting, and then they pulled out and uh, Scott Long, publisher of Andy up, and I started giggling because I love how people think that I'm good uh, just because I own a poker magazine. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm getting better, but I am nowhere near as good as any of those players in that field. And uh, so he's like, you know, how good are you? And I'm like, I'll tell you right now, I've never made it out of the first round. So if you lose to me, think about that. <laughs> Sun Tzu has nothing on me, Chris. See, I, I like to use, uh, I like to use the old. You never have to, sh- you know, you try to get through a whole tournament without showing your cards ever. That's kind of the the way I am in life. When people find out I own a poker magazine and they think I'm a fantastic poker player, I try to never play poker with those people ever and just let the myth. Yeah, yeah, myth, yes, yes. You know what I mean? Just perpetuate. Yes, exactly. I got these guys that I bowl with. They're like, man, don't ever play poker with this guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's right. You don't want to play poker with me. I suck. But you don't know that. Uh, but I ended up, uh, it was a good match. I ended up uh, beating him and um, and then moved on. And then in my second match, I played a really, really tough online player who's just now starting to play live. A lot of those I, I ran into this time. And uh, he made, had me down 3-1 to one at one point, and I battled back and beat him 
Um, and then once you win the second match, now I thought I could like save the world, right? Yeah. Now I'm strutting around like a rooster, and then I get in my third match with a guy who I believe he said it's his first tournament. And um, he literally hit every single thing. He, he pit me on every one-pair hand. He pit me on every two-pair hand. He pit me on a flush hand and just destroyed me in the dream ended. But I made it to the Sweet 16 for the first time ever. So oh, cool. Golf clap. Nothing for it. I needed to win that, that Sweet 16 match to get cash, but oh well. So I ended up with no more cashes this trip, Chris. Uh, oh. I ended up the Chinese event and played well again, but uh, bowed out uh, with three tables left, so... Bomber, but uh, so I did have my one cash. So I'll take that, and uh, like I said, I, I did really well at that Omaha game. So I came home a winner. That's good. Not a great winner, but a winner. So there will be money for you to take from me at the home game. Like that. <laughs> um, and a couple more things before we move on. Uh, Chicago Joe, our great uh, Chicago ambassador. I think we've talked about. He was on the cover of the magazine this month because he won our um, online event at andyapokeroom.com, right? Um, just super excited. I was really happy that he ended up making it on the cover. It was a great story, so please go pick up a copy and app and read it and learn more about this great guy. But he came out to the event, uh, brought his wife, who I never met, adorable, very sweet woman. She was very excited for Joe. Uh, she just said, hey, this has just changed his world, and he was just very excited. Uh, the best part was that the magazine got there while he was there, right? Right. So there were people recognizing him at the table. From picking up the magazine, and he just tickled by that. That's cool. He thought that was really cool. So, you know, this is why I really enjoy what we're doing here, and especially when we see people that want to be on the cover, not yeah. always being on the cover, yeah. and really embrace it, that it's, it really is a great honor for them. And um, and Joe was just kiddie as anything. So, lovely guy. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention is, uh, like I said, uh, the Thunder Valley puts on a great tournament for us. Um, and they like to do something for special guests every year. And this year, uh, Ben Irwin, the director of poker, decided he wanted to do a kind of a cocktail party. Um, it was open to all of our anti-up tour winners that came, um, as well as anybody that had already registered for the main event. So if you registered for the main event, you were invited to come. And it's kind of a meet and greet, um, hang out. You get to meet Ben, get to meet me. Matt Savage, who um, directed the tournament, was there as well, too. And free wine and really nice um, uh, food uh, spread out. Great, great time. Joe, uh, Joe and his wife were there, had a good time. So at one point, I hear Matt Savage uh, behind me say, uh, I'm sure Scott will play. And I turn around, and he's like, you'll play a game, right? I'm like, I'll play anything. What are, what are we playing? So they come back. It turns out that somewhere between Sacramento, where Thunder Valley is, and San Francisco is where Jelly Bellies are made. The big factory, right? You know, yeah. Jelly Bellies. Yep. Yep. And um, so they bought this game there called Bean Boozled, and uh, Matt's wife and his kid are there, and they love playing it. So they went and got it. So here's the the concept. So you have like a little spinny wheel thing, right? Um, and the whole box is full of these little bags of Jelly Bellies. So you open up a bag, and um, you're looking for the Jelly Bellies that look exactly the same, like two green ones or two white ones with blue dots, right? Mm -hmm. And one of them, let's say green. Green, one of the ones is lime flavored, and the other one is grass clippings flavored. So one is supposed to be tastefully delicious. The other one is supposed to be absolutely gross, right? Right. And you spin, and then whatever one you get on, you got to pick one and hope you pick the right one. 
Because and they make you eat it and it's gross? Yeah, you got to eat it, right? Yeah. And it'd be gross. See, see, you're already thinking the same way I was. What's the big deal? So I used some lawn clippings, right? Right. I actually wanted to eat the lawn clippings one just to see what it tasted like. And I could never get it. I kept getting the lime. Uh, but all kinds of other flavors like that. Uh, but the, there were people that were dropping out. They're like, I can't do it anymore. You know, somebody got the barf one, and they're like, it actually tastes like I'm eating barf. Uh, or there's a dog food one, or um, spoiled milk. Um, I fortunately never got a bad one, right? So then I hear Matt is trying to like, get somebody to eat entire bag of Jelly Bellies, you know, for the game. Mm-hmm. So you know there's bad ones and good ones mixed in. It's like, maybe 20 bucks. I turn around, I'm like, give it to me. And I chow it down, and everybody's like, whoa. I'm like, they're Jelly Bellies. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, there, you could definitely tell some grossness in there at some point, but most of the Jelly Bellies are good. I love Jelly Bellies, right? Wolfed down. A little glass of wine went all my life. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> See, and I think if you were there, you would do the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's candy. It's, I mean, you mix it up with all the other ones, and it won't even take, you won't even notice it. And you're getting 20 bucks for free? Absolutely. But uh, they were periscoping it, and we had 600 viewers of people watching us play this game. Oh, jeez. But anyhow, World Championship was a great event. Uh, we'll be back out there next year and then back out at Thunder Valley and Thanksgiving weekend for the Andy of NorCal Classic. So uh, definitely come out and see us then. And then, of course, we got a couple of Andy of events coming up um, at Sandia in New Mexico and Pearl River in Mississippi before that. 31 minutes in, we're getting to item two. Item two! Don't worry. <laughs> We're on the back end here. Let's add this to the list of no-nos for your home game that we started last week when we talked about uh, the Bengals rookie who thought playing poker in a Super 8 was a grand idea. The mayor of Stockton, California, has been arrested for allegedly secretly recording he and camp counselors playing strip poker. He denies the charges. How, how do you deny that charge? I mean, how does that charge come up and you're even able to deny it? Is, is, you know, can you even deny that? Well, we're, we're, as you mentioned, 30 minutes in the show, and it's, it's all the feedback I got last week was, tell Chris to quit worrying about the show. Like, we love hearing you guys talk. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to keep claim playing, believe me. Anyhow. Anyhow. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what they say. It's what I say. I edit the show. Um, uh, but uh, we, we could spend hours on this, but we're not. Um, but a couple things I would say. One, Stockton is not too far from Thunder Valley. Yeah, I was going to say that. But I saw the story, I was like, oh my gosh, I've driven through Stockton. Like, a couple times. Uh, but it turns out this guy uh, does a lot of work with kids and the camp. I don't know if it's a boys and girls camp or something like that. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, there's been the allegations, and I hate talking about allegations until they're actually proven but that uh, there was beer involved and some of the camp counselors were less than 18 um, and that there was a secret recording of it going on Um, so I'm not sure what the exact charge was and all that and what he denies I don't don't think he denies that the event didn't happen I think he denies that it happened in the way that people were making it sound Um, but let's just say it happened in the best possible way (laughs) And I don't know what that is. But let's just give the guy credit for the best possible situation where you're a mayor and a camp executive of some sort and you are playing cards with camp camp counselors. Right? That's right. probably the best I could think of, right? Uh, that's not that's not a, that's not even good. Right. <laughs> the best case scenario is not good, right? Right, right. So even that is probably pretty bad. So if you go beyond that to any of these other things that people were saying it happened, now it gets just off the charts goofy, right? Uh, unbelievable. You're the mayor. 
You're the yes. mayor. I mean, how do you sit down at anything and say... He's running for re-election this year, too, by the way. I, I think I should do this. You know, <laughs> I'm the mayor. Uh, I'm supposed to be looked up to, and this is what I'm doing. Uh, no matter what it is, there's, there's no upside uh, to this. You know, here's the thing. is that Maybe you just think that no one's going to know about it. You know, you're at a camp. You know, this is what you do at camp. You play cards. You even play strip poker, I guess. I None of the camps I went to, that happened, unfortunately. Um, but you got to think... I mean, if, let's say he's not the mayor, right? He's just this normal camp dude hanging out there, volunteer or whatever, right? That's a different story. But now when you're the mayor, i got to think, if I'm playing strip poker or poker at all at a camp with the mayor of the city, how am I not going to tell someone that, right? I know. Social media the way it is, too? you got to be kidding me. I'm not going to get out, right? Oh, my, that's hilarious. Yeah. So I'm really not sure who's worse, this guy or the Bengals rookie. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, the mayor. I think is <laughs> if, if if he ends up being convicted of something, I'm gonna say he's the mayor. <laughs> hey, any updates? Dover Downs Hotel and Casino in Dover, Delaware, will award any poker cruise packages for a November 14th sailing out of Tampa, Florida, to the top three finishers in a $45 tournament on August 21st. For more info, visit AnyUpCruises.com. Also, Sandia Resort and Casino in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is hosting an Up Poker Tour stop. The five event series is unique as it plays out over several weekends. One more two-day event is planned for August 20th with the three-day main event over Labor Day weekend where the winner will appear on the cover of Up Magazine. For more, visit com slash Sandia. And then com hosts a Blue Shark Optics Blue Busters main event on August 28th with the winner getting 100 bucks and a pair of Blue Shark's Blue Busters lenses which are specially designed for use in front of your computer. Also, PokerRadius.com, home of the Anti-Up group discussions on the internet, has added a special form dedicated to the Anti-Up Poker Room. AntiUpPokerRoom.com costs fourteen ninety-five a month and is open to players in 25 states where sweepstakes laws allow play. I gotta say, I got a pair of these Blue Busters and I, I use them when I'm in front of the computer. They actually really are pretty cool. Yeah? Yeah, they keep the, you know, it's the blue light that comes from the screen that kind of tires your eyes out. So. Oh, oh. You're in front of the computer as long as we are doing stuff. Um, it actually <clears throat> really, really helps. So um, definitely open. Uh, <laughs> enter this tournament. The, this lenses cost like upwards of 400 bucks or something, I think. So that's a pretty nice prize. Holy cow. Um, and get a chance to win one of those. Um, and if you don't win, uh, definitely check out Blue Shark Optics and uh, take a look at them online. Um, and uh, they're really good. At, especially if you spend a lot of time in front of your computer like we do. Yeah, right. All right, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. Comes from Steve Seagal. says, uh, I'm writing about high hand promotions. I'm in the small blind, and it folds to me before I look at my hand, and I say, chop? He says, no, I can't. I look at my hand, and it's ace-jack, so I raise. He gets upset that obviously he has a possible high hand, and I have no right to chop offer chop then raise i say i offer chop and you said no i then looked at my hand and it's a raising hand what are your thoughts he ended up calling the flop was a king a uh, king queen 10 haha <laughs> he said he called the flop bet and then fold on the turn and continued to berate me uh steve you're my hero buddy <laughs> that's awesome don't, don't take any of this from the these uh ninnies i hate this stuff right this is what us true poker players hate it. I, you know, I, I understand why we have promotions. I like promotions. I like winning money if I hit a hand. But I am not. Um, only in rare cases am I going to alter my play because of a promotion. And I'm always going to chop. Always going to chop. 
Because um, here's the other thing that I don't think these guys understand that refuse to chop when they have a jackpot hand is that there still has to be a minimum amount of money in the pot right. for the jackpot to trigger most rooms. Um, if you're playing in a room where there doesn't, then that's a great room to play in. <laughs> but usually it's going to be 40 bucks or something. Sometimes it's 20. Sometimes it's but, 10. Yeah, but whatever it is, you've got to get that money in the pot. So even if you do the wink, wink, which, by the way, couldn't invalidate your bad beat jackpot anyhow, um, which players should understand, right? If there's any kind of conclusion and not chopping with a wink wink is collusion by the way folks yeah um they could deny you the prize so you really shouldn't be doing that anyhow but let's say you do you you manage to get the secret password to the small blind right um now you've got to get the small blind to put money into the pot to make it big enough so you actually win the jackpot so if i'm actually on uh you know team collusion here with you right uh, I might be willing to check and keep the hand going. Actually, I wouldn't. But if I am, that's that's the limit of where I'm going, right? Yeah. Now you're asking me just to throw money at you in the hopes that the card combination hits right so you win it. And then you take that money and what, what, in the parking lot later on, you're going to give me back 20 bucks when you're walking out with 2000 that's what, that's what I was going to bring up. If the guy doesn't want to chop, you turn him and say, "Okay, well, uh, you got I got nine other witnesses here. Are you uh, are you promising to split the jackpot with me if you hit it? Because if you're well, not, then you I'm not playing the hand with you. Exactly. Exactly. So I invalue his hand, not mine. I don't have to worry about it now. Yeah, that's true. You know. So if you don't agree with me, then I'm going to raise. And if you do agree with me, you don't qualify. So ha ha. So right, just play so your hand. Let's just assume that this person is a smart person. Obviously, he's not. Right. Right. A smart person would now say, all right, uh, I kind of gave the the old wink-wink thing, right? Small blind didn't pick up on it, and he raised. This should be a good thing, right? Ugh. Now you're going to get the money in the pot that you need to qualify with, right? Right. And if your hand is really that great, why would you not want to call a raise with it? Yep. And no one says you have to re-raise now and drive him out of the pot. I would just call, be very happy. Hey, now we got money in the pot. Maybe this small blind now is going to bet the flop, and I can call. And now I've got the minimum amount of money in the pot that I need, so if my hand does hit, I'm great. And then I can abuse him if I need to, right? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with any of the scenario. I cannot believe, you know, uh, this is one of those things where I walk away from the table to shaking my head. One... Uh, I hate these people that insist on other people change their play for the stupid jackpots. But two, people that don't understand that I'm actually helping them. <laughs> oh, man. That's, it, Steve, the, that's why these jackpots, man, it's like they're supposed to be there as a bonus, not as a tactical maneuver of how to play a hand. That's what really bothers me. It's just it's ridiculous. All right, they're necessary, but they do change. The no, game. I yeah, I didn't say I don't I don't want them to be there. It's just it's just ridiculous that people change their way they play because of it rather than just having it be a bonus a nice little bonus uh, find yourself at a situation uh, at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been email us at podcast at com. we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled this week's prize is a 30 minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars which specializes in poker odds and math at poker911.net comes from Chuck McCann via the PokerRadius.com site. It says, I played a tournament in an Atlantic City casino that had 25 players at the start. The first few players got knocked out early, and we combined to two tables, one at nine players and one at ten. 
Just before late registration closed, a couple came in and bought in. The tournament director asked everyone at my table to shift over slightly to add an 11th player. Two of us voiced concerns with this, one because we didn't like the idea of playing 10-handed for an hour and now suddenly having an 11th player at our table. We all paid to play in this tournament, so doesn't adding an extra seat put us at a disadvantage, however slight? Our biggest complaint, however, was that when we said, wait, they're playing with 10 and we're playing with 11, how is that fair to us? We were told that both tables had 11 players. We let it go and continued playing. I'm just wondering whether we should have let it go. Did it put us at any real disadvantage? Uh, Elliot says... I spoiled it far. <laughs> Does 11-handed play pose a disadvantage to players at the 11-handed tournament table? That is the question, saith the bard. Poker rooms will seldom ever spread 11-handed cash games because of the speed of the game and the comfort of the players. Most cash games are 9 or 10-handed, with a solid but not enormous majority of being them 9-handed. Game slows down due to the increased action and increased hanking of the extra player or players. When the game slows, revenue decreases. Furthermore, if tables large enough to accommodate 11 players comfortably are installed, the game will also slow down due to the dealers not being able to reach all the players. I'm um, sorry, I'll reach all the chips and the cards. Less tables will be able to fit into a poker room as well, meaning less revenue generated due to less games. But I digress. These effects pretty much do not apply to the tournament in your situation. Two standard size tables are in action, one with 11 players and one with 10. Tournament play is generally tighter than cash play, and the effect from the extra player is negligible. Tournament table is only as fast as the slowest player at the table. Whether that slowest player is always in the action or very aggressive, or whether that slowest player just intentionally plays at a slow pace to disrupt everyone at the table is irrelevant. Both types of players are eating up precious time from the tournament clock, and they both have nothing to do with the amount of players at the table. Also, most poker rooms that spread their cash games nine-handed spread their tournament games ten-handed, so the fewer tables and dealers are utilized in the lower revenue activity. Nine-handed games are more comfortable for the players in poker rooms that have little or no concern about available tables and dealers. Nine-handed should probably be the norm. All this is a long way of saying that playing 11 or 10-handed tournament rather than nine-handed is no disadvantage. Poker games will have all types of players, and your chance of simultaneously playing against all the various types of players increases as the amount of players at your table increases. But the probability of playing against all the various types of players simultaneously increases dramatically the closer you get to the final table of a tournament. At some point, adjusting to all your opponents is on you and not the casino's fault for making the silly and preventable error of consolidating tables prior to the end of the late entry table, period. Uh, well, I, one of the things is, you know, at that point, are they going to really stick so if, if there was what? How many do you say? There's nine and ten. So there's nineteen. So are they really going to go with what? Eight or nine, nine and ten? No, I mean, what is it? Eight. So it's nine, what, nineteen people left. So if you divide that by three, that's six. So you're like six, six and seven. You're not going to play six, six and seven because you got uh, thirty minutes left in the or five minutes left in the. You're going to uh, consolidate, you right? Oh, but you are. Yeah. So here's what, what I would have combined them. When you can go 9 and 10, oh, I'd combine here's them. the problem with combining them. I mean, this is what I'm saying. is uh, what, what My response to Chuck was is that, unfortunately, we have a tournament director here that either didn't understand how to properly balance the tables or made the calculation that no one else was going to come in and register, so it made more sense to consolidate the tables. In a perfect world, if you have registration open, you should not be combining tables to prevent a spot for a player to come in. You can't advertise that the tournament is open until level six, but then not have a spot to put the player in. So 
Um, but that being said, this is probably a smaller room, and this is kind of the stress that tournament directors in smaller rooms have it all the time. So you're going to get complaints either way. If you leave it at 6, 6, and 7, you're going to have constant complaints from players. Why aren't we combining tables? And you've got to explain to them, well, hey, registration is still open. If somebody comes, I can't uncombine the tables. And so I'm going to have to force an 11th player in. Are you going to like that? Um, but if you do combine them, and then you have to add an 11th player in, the players are going to bitch about that, right? <laughs> Which is what happens here. So you can't right. win. So the problem here is that I think the tournament director looked and said, hey, we got 30 minutes left. They probably looked around the poker room, didn't see anybody, kind of maybe poked their head down the casino. Is there anybody that looks like they might be coming to the tournament? No. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and combine them. And then, of course, of course, of course, as soon as he does that, two people walk in and want to get in, and now he can't uncombine the tables. So now the only solution is to fill one up and then make another one even more full than it should be. And so I would say in that scenario, I think the complaints would be less the way that it happened with 11 and a 10-player table rather than playing 6, 6, and 7 for another 30 minutes. Right, right. So I, even though I think the tournament director erred in that, I think he actually did it in a way that players were going to complain less. So it is kind of unfortunate that he still got complaints <laughs> from it. But this is kind of the problem. If the tournament's open, you should have tables going until it gets ridiculous. Now, if it got down to 4, 4, and 4 or something like that, then yeah, you got to combine at that point. But, but then if you do that, then you're still fine. So. Um, but the last thing I'll say, because I, I know you're watching the clock, um, <laughs> I, I don't know whether Elliot really answered Chuck's question about the disadvantage. I, th- I think he answered it in a different way. Yeah. Uh, my question to Chuck is, what, what is your solution? If you have 10 players at one table and 11 at the other table, am I going to chop a player in half? Yeah, you got to stay 11 and 10. Just, I mean, it was just a look at the draw the way it went to your table. That's all, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it is a disadvantage, but th- there's no solution to that advantage. If we're talking 11 and 9, there's a solution. Right now, we can make 10 and 10. Right. But if it's 11 and 10, you got to cut a person in half. And, you know, unless David Copperfield is your tournament director, that ain't going to happen, right? The other thing, too, is there's also a positive to being 11 instead of the other table at 10 because you're getting... There's more chips. Well, yeah, and fewer times you're seeing the blind, too. I mean, it, well, too, more yeah. chips. I mean, there, there are positives to it. You start to look at it that way. Um, so I, I don't think there was a disadvantage of being 11-handed other than you can be really tight. We used to play at the Silks, 11-handed, all the time on Saturday afternoons. That's the yeah, way they yeah. did it. Now, a disadvantage, no, probably not. More chips and fewer, more hands per blind, so... Well, it's also important to note that TDA rules, too, say you're not shorthanded unless you're three below another table. Yeah, that's right. So even if this was 9 and 11, that would still be acceptable under TDA rules. Now, of course, a real tournament director would say, hey, I can balance it, balance it out and right. make sense here. But, but think of that in a 40-table tournament, which this isn't, right? right. Um, you can't constantly be balancing the tables because as a player, you're going to keep getting picked up and moved to another table and that's not fair to you either, right? So right. that's why that rule is there, is to give some flexibility so you don't have to constantly be balancing tables in a big tournament and moving players around. There's a, you know an acceptance that some tables might be two players less than you at some point just at a efficiency of running the tournament. So it certainly wasn't out of the realm of the TDA here. It was just an unfortunate thing. And I'm going to say, Chuck, if this is the worst thing that happened to you that day, you're running pretty good. <laughs> Hey, we get the complete O'Malley's move. Here comes part one. 
Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing in a $1, $2, No Limit Hold'em casino cash game. The action can be pretty wild, but there are times where it is a little more timid. It's a pretty standard 1-2 game. The blinds post. It's folded to the hijack, who makes it $8 to go. The cutoff folds, and we're on the button with the jack of spades, jack of diamonds. There are a couple of ways to play this hand. We could re-raise her here and potentially push her off a hand or find out we are beat, or we could call and try to outplay her on the flop. We've been playing for around two hours and have only eked out a profit of $25. We sit with $225. The player who made the raise from the hijack is very new to the table. She's only been around for about one orbit and has roughly what she started with, 200 She may be missing her small and big blind, but she hasn't played a hand yet. We decide that since we know very little about this player, we're just going to call. If we get another caller, maybe we rethink this as a set mining mission. We are quite pleased when everyone else folds. The pot is $19, and the flop is the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs, Seven of Hearts. I like this flop, and I don't like this flop. There's an overpair, which doesn't necessarily mean bad things, and there's a heart draw. But other than that, we can go with this. However, our opponent leads out for $15. This could be a standard continuation bet or a made hand. Again, we really have no clue what this woman is like. A check here from her would have been entirely too fishy, so I think a bet was, well, expected. Maybe this is where we want to raise, but I can't help but feel like keeping the pot manageable is the better play. We call. The pot is around $45, and the turn is the queen of diamonds. Interesting. Our opponent once again leads out, this time for $30, leaving her about $150 behind. I guess we're on the manageability express. I'm with her. We call. The pot is just over $100, and the river is the eight of clubs. Our opponent thinks for a while, but finally slows down and checks. So, are we only getting called by a better hand? Are we checking behind? Or are we value betting? What's the move? All right, no way kings, aces, and case queen checks this river. So I think we have to value bet here. Uh, the only question is how much we can bet and still get called. I think this is a situation where an overbet might look like a steal temp, and I love this move. I usually I like to do this a lot. And if we're wrong, we likely wouldn't have gotten any calls. So I don't think we're risking anything really by putting a pretty sizable bet in here. So with 100 bucks in the pot, I'm probably going to bet the pot. Yeah, I think you hit on the head here. I mean, unless she is picking up something on us, that she thinks we might bluff at it when she holds a monster, I'm inclined to bet about, I don't know, about 70 or so. I, I just don't see... Yeah, I don't see her beating us here now. There's no way she checks her over with one of the hands you mentioned, so... Right, but the the idea now is to make it look like we're trying to steal. Right. And it's a really weird part of psychology, and particularly poker psychology, when you do that. Because I'm this is why the whole why so much line has came up, Right. Right. And then those people say, hmm, we've been too much. He must be trying to push me off this pot. I'm going to call, even though I wouldn't call 25, but I'd call 100. Just because it seems like it's a steal now rather than a value bet, right? She has to actually have a hand, too, though. So Well, that's it, yeah. But that's no what matter what you bet, she's either fo- folding or calling. So Right. If she has no <laughs> hand at all, then she's not going to call anyhow. That's my point, right? So, All right, let's see what happens. <laughs> Hello again. We've got her beat. I'm guessing she raised preflop with something good, but it kept getting worse for her from there. Maybe it's ace-king of hearts. 
There's no way she checks the river if she has the queen, and I just don't think she would have played aces or kings this way, although that is entirely possible. Jax is just too strong for me to check here. We make a $75 bet into the pot, partially for value, partially for a fold. Our opponent sighs, looks at her cards, looks at the board, looks at her chips, looks back at her cards, sighs again, and then folds. Ship it. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, Phew, I hate playing jacks. I hope to see you on the belt. Uh, I got nothing else to add here. Yeah. <laughs> and, not, and not just because you're calling the clock. Out, right? I really have nothing else to add here. No, I know. There's nothing else it to say. It worked out exactly like we thought. We He overbet the pot, and uh, she folded. She yeah, had nothing. She so. had nothing. Or, uh, yeah, or she, maybe she had... Or maybe she figured some... out that we were doing what I'm trying to do. And yeah. Not going to be caught. I would like to know what she had. That's the thing. It's like, Did she have like pocket threes and thought they were good? And then the eight made her think it wasn't good? I would love to know what she had. She did this the whole way with, though. But I think our point is correct that she probably wasn't going to call anything. Yeah, I mean, I guess we would have bet five or something ridiculous. She went through with a five or Right, something. right. But yeah, he bet 75, and I said 70, said 100, which is right there. So she wasn't calling anything. All right, it's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcastaniamagazine.com. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to PokerMedias.com, Poker's best social networking site, home of the anti-up group discussions. New listener David Mount is sending us in. He says uh, he's playing 2-5 at Brigada. Ooh. Uh, it's an all-Atlantic City show here this week. Uh, uh, he says after uh, – so I've been playing – I'm playing 2-5 at Brigada after losing 200 at 1-2. I do like that. Hey, I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm losing my shirt at the lower level, so I'm gonna move up to the higher level and try to swing for the fences, right? Sure. Or, or he's normally a two-five player and was forced to play one-two because ah, there's no seats. Yeah. But yeah, his, I like your way better. Uh, now he's up to thirteen hundred after three hundred dollar buy-in. Very nice. Nice. So two-five all along apparently. And uh, and now on our third two-five table after the tables have been breaking. Um. Uh, all right, so let's see. It uh, five people limp to us, and we're in the big blind with eight of spades, seven of spades. I'm just limping. I mean, I, I don't. You're in the blinds. Uh, big blind. Yeah, so I'm just checking. I mean, I don't. The biggest of the blinds. The biggest of the blinds. I'm just checking. You know, and just. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you could go crazy and just raise and see if you'll take it, but you're going to be out of position if anybody calls you and you only have 8-7. And if you're playing the players, now you're out of position playing these players. So just let be happy you got to see a free flop with a nice little nice little hand here. Yeah, I think in a tournament you, there is a small case to be made for raising here because now you've got some dead money in there, especially if it's a higher level, right? But here we've got 5 bucks times 5. We've got 25. It's a cash game. So Yeah. Uh, here I, I don't see any advantage at all to raising, so I'm gonna check it and hope this pretty powerful his hand with a lot of potential, let's say, not PowerPoint. Hand with a lot of potential uh, reaches its full potential. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, that's what happens. Um, the flop comes uh, seven, seven, six with two hearts. And we are first act. Well, it'd be one thing if someone had shown some strength early on, so you might be willing to check raise that person or something. Do a sort of a lot of if somebody has some big raising, you might want to bet into them because you know they're supposed to have a big pair there, that kind of thing. But everyone limped along, and we fit the seven, and there's, this is a real wet board. So I think you're going to want to bet out now and not take any chances of of someone else just 
you know, people just limping along and, and checking along and then turn and getting there for free. If they were playing this, you know, this uh, week already, there's a chance they would play weak on this flop, too. So we don't want that. So we're going to bet probably a decent amount, too. So it looks like you might even be trying to steal it out of the big blind and represent it when you actually do have it. So I don't know. I'd bet like 2025 here, I think. 2025, I like it. Yep. Yeah, I, uh, I'm betting this 100% of the time. There's absolutely no reason in my mind to ever check here. Right. Um, like you said, there was no aggression pre-flop, so we can't count on anybody betting behind us. It, there's all kinds of straights and heart problems uh, coming on the turn, so I don't want to give anybody a free card to hit that. Um, and then even beyond all of that, um, I like putting confusion in my opponent's minds. So now they've got to figure out, do I have a 7? Or am I just representing a seven here? And because I'm in a big blind, it's very possible that I do have a seven, right? Yeah. So now I got to make them try to figure that out. And usually, a smart player by will figure that out by probably raising here to find out, and then let me re-raise them. And now I just picked up some extra money, right? Um. So folks really don't know whether I have a seven or I'm representing. So I love the spot. So I got to get money in now. Um. And then add in the the fact that there's a lot of danger coming in this hand makes it even more important to bet here. Yeah. And I, I like the 25. Uh, Seems about right. Probably a little less than 25 because of the rate. But yeah, it's hot. But yeah, 20, 25, I think it's perfect. It's pretty, the most sizable bet that is realistic. Yeah. All right, our hero bets 20. Right. Um, and it folds to the cutoff who raises to 80. And he describes this uh, guy as a solid young player with 1,500 in front of him. Wow. Uh, well, there's two ways to go here. You could call, and then you're going to be out of position, and then you're going to be all kinds of money. You're going to be calling the rest of the way. I want to see this guy turn over a seven, and you better hope you boat up or straight up somehow. Or he could be raising with a draw, hoping to get a free card on you. So you have to make that decision now. And if he's doing that, then you got to re-raise him. So I don't know. I think. Uh, I don't know anything about these players. You know what I mean? It's very difficult to do this cold like this, especially since it's his third table, so he doesn't even know anything about these people either, probably. But I'm thinking um, if he had 8-8, he might just call and let us keep betting into him. If he had a really good 7 or a good straight draw, he might do this because he might be protecting his hand. So he's got to think about what we have. Why would we be betting this? And if he knows we have a 7 and knows we have us beat, then he might be raising. So you got to really start thinking about what this player is doing here. But I don't know. I Generally, I just call stuff like this, and I let them try to bluff at it. But this is a straight and hearts on the board possible coming up on the next card here. And if I think this guy's doing it with a draw, and he's just trying to play back at me for a free card later, you know, because he bets a 60 or 80, so he bets 60 more now, and then we call check, he gets that free turn card for, for that money. So it's like he really only just called a bet and then bet a you know, a smaller bet later or whatever. So, I don't know. I may raise him. I don't know. I may raise here. I, I, I just feel like sometimes these guys, these bigger games, don't believe us, or are trying to float us, or trying to um, get the free card. There are different moves that they make here, you know. And if he was floating, you would just call. So I don't know if he's floating, but he could be just doing this with a draw. So I might re-raise and see what he really is made of here. I don't know. I got 1300 in front of me. I only bet 20 so far or 25. I might make it 240, you know, or 200 or something and say, "Okay, let's see what you really have." And if he shoves, then you got then you got to think about it, but 
I don't know. I just feel like this could be a, a, a bluff on his part because there's so many things that he could be doing with this hand. doesn't have to necessarily be a 7 or 8-7 or pocket 8s. So I'm going to raise this guy. I'm going to have some fun with this hand. Uh, I am absolutely raising here. Okay, good. Hey. <laughs> I don't think there's really a legitimate reason to consider anything else here. I think this is exactly what I said. So you know, we bet out now. So now the other players at the table have to start wondering whether we actually have a seven or whether we're representing a seven. And the way they do that is to raise us. And this is a significant raise. This is four times what we bet, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we have to consider the fact that this player is testing us, right? And um, so now we actually have to test him because if we just call here, now we don't know what he has. Now we're at his mercy, right? So now what are we going to do? We're going to check the turn, right? Right. And if he's doing this on a draw, which he very well could, you know, if I've got hearts or I've got... 9-10. Um, 9-10 or something like that, right? Or 8-9. Eight, eight, right. Um, I'm probably going to raise here, too, because I want to find out whether I'm up against a 7 or not, right? And if I raise here and I get, get the big blind just to call, now I've got a free card opportunity, right? So I don't want to give this guy a free card. I want to find out right now whether he's on a draw or whether he has a seven. Um, and it seems unlikely to me that he could have um, too much bigger of a seven here, right? And I know it's a limp pot, but what else is he going to be playing here? I'm just thinking A7 is the only other hand that would be beating us. Right, exactly. A7 is the A7 only thing suited. kind to think about. And he's described as a solid young player, which is actually kind of, I don't know what that means, you know, because um, usually young players are a little bit more aggressive. Um, a solid player would not limp in with an A7, um, but a young, aggressive player might. So that's really the only other hand I can think, besides maybe pocket sixes, right? right. Even pocket sixes at that point, now you're not worried about the flush straight there, right? Where right. our hand's vulnerable, that hand's not. Right. So I don't think he would raise there with that hand, right? He would want people to catch up, right? Probably. So I'm going to raise to 200 here. I'm going to say, hey, in case you thought I didn't have a 7, guess what I do? So now you either need to, you know, raise more if you actually have one of these hands that has me beat, which I don't think you do, or you're going to pay a premium to hit that draw. I agree. That's why I'm if doing I just it too. Call here. I don't. I give him control of the hand, and I and I got a I got a good enough hand here that I don't want to give up control with it right now. Now, if we raise to 200 and he shoves, now we got a really big decision to make, right? Yeah, you have to decide if he really is on a draw and willing to put it all in, or. Plus, I don't know how much he had. Who did you say he had? He had 1,500? He had so, 15, yeah. yes. So he has his cover. But yeah. we're playing deep right now, right? So right. 200, it sounds kind of big for what we normally play, but it's not considering what, we're, what we have in front of us. Right. I'm betting 200. I want to find out right now, you know, uh, where I am in this hand. Okay. Me too. Um. All right. Let's see. Our hero says, especially in a limp pot, I thought to a fold, but made the call wanting to see the turn. Or explain why I'm worried about right. that. Right, right. Let's see what happens here. Um, and, I, and I certainly, I really couldn't fold. I, maybe, you know, I don't play 2-5, so maybe that's what happens in 2-5, but uh, I can't see folding trips here, you know, whether it's not a heart or a straight on the board yet, you know. If it gets to that point, then that's a different story. But. All right, he's 180 in the pot, too, I would imagine now, so. Um, all right, so uh, he says, I put him on a better 7, but wanted to play the flush against him. Again, I, I don't know what better seven he has, but I guess we'll find out. The turn is a jack of hearts, so our board now is seven, seven, six with three hearts now. Kind of what we're worried about. 
Uh, here's the hard part, is if you check, he, and he was playing the angle I mentioned earlier, now he represents it, and what do you do? You're going to call whatever bet he makes? There's 100, 200 out there, practically. Well, I, I think now, the way the way we played it actually works into our favor now, because now I think we have to check, right? Because it looks like we're, we have the hearts, and now, if our opponent doesn't have hearts, he has to be concerned that we, we made that bet and call on the com when we got there and we're, he's waiting for us to bet so we can check race. And if that's the case, we'll probably check behind and then we get a free... We actually get the free card uh, to vote up. Uh. Why would I want to bet into this guy now when one of the cards I wasn't hoping for hit? Well, it's very likely that his raise could have been on the com. Right. Well, let me ask you this. It, if... By your call and what he said was he wanted to make a play like he had the flush. So if he calls and he hits the flush, he's going to bet his flush because now he wants to protect against a random seven boating up or he wants to get value for it. Oh, I don't know about that. I think, right? I mean, again, I don't. There's a there's there is a big difference between one two and two five, and I don't play two five, so the thought process is probably more sophisticated at two five. But you know, I, I'm a one two player when I'm forced to play uh, a crappy little bit holdem, right? And at that case, I think people like to do the check race thing so I think if, if I'm the other guy I'm like okay they bet out on two hearts he's trying to represent the seven I raised him he called he's trying to get that flush he got that flush I'm not going to bet now have him check raise me hmm. if I don't already have the hearts if I have the hearts obviously I'm going to be betting but. so you're going to check here I think you have to check here the way we played it I think checking is the best way to do it because now that gives us an opportunity to get a free river card. Okay. Boat up. All right, let's check. And, and maybe we don't need a boat up. Maybe maybe he doesn't have hearts. Maybe he's, maybe he was on the straight draw, right? But either way, if he checks behind, now we can reassess what we're going to do on the river, whether we boat up or not. You know, if we don't boat up, maybe we we decide to take a stab at it. But if I bet here, he raises. <clears throat> what am I going to do now? Am I going to put more money in now? Hmm. But he clearly is either showing now he has a flush or a better seven than we, even though it seems unlikely that he could have a better seven. Or the outside chance of pocket sixes, but that still doesn't make sense to me. I don't see any upside to betting here. You know, if he was trying to bluff at us, maybe, then then he folds and then we're out of the hand, but I, I don't know. I'd rather have him bluff again and, and call. All right, let's, uh, let's check and see what happens, see what he does. What did he do? Ah. Uh, here it says I wanted to represent the flush and bet. I put out a hundred hour blocking bet. He says my plan uh, was he could fold, thinking I hit the flush and still have possible boat outs on the river. Uh, my plan was to bet big on the river. The fourth heart came uh, on the river as if he had the seven. The odds of him holding a high heart was unlikely. Well, that's what I, I was talking about—the fact that he said that earlier. That he said, "I want to make the call here to represent that I'm going for the flush." So, if he gets the flush, anybody who hits that flush is probably going to want to try to protect against a fourth heart coming on the river for him with a random higher heart right, than I mine. Yeah. So that's why I would have bet out. But you wanted to check, and you you made a point, so I just went with it. But that's what I was saying was that if I would bet representing what he playing it in his eyes now, not ours, because that's what we have to do every street. We have to now reset every street and deal with what we've done. So, anyway, I he bet a hundred. Worried that he could be making that raise with the hearts. You know, if I if I really didn't think there was any chance that he could have the hearts, that I would worry about. 
If I was that convinced he had those hearts, I would have raised him pre-flop like we did, 200. He didn't, well, yeah. so now they've got to move yeah. forward with how he plays, not the way we played. So, right, right. right? So I, I, I don't disagree with that $100 blocking bet, but we'll see what happens. That's the problem. Um, all right. Let me see. Uh, all right. Um, he called, right? Our opponent calls. That's right. I had to clarify that because it wasn't in the original email. Uh, River is the tray of spades. So our final board is seven, seven, six, Jack, Trey with three hearts. Hmm. So it's like three eighty in the pot. We ha- still have three sevens. Uh, if this guy was, if this guy was drawing at anything, unless he has four five, which he could, um, or a flush, I think he would have raised us if he hit the flush that he was trying to go for. Um, unless he was afraid of the boat because the board's paired, I, I don't know. This is an interesting. If I mean, you four check, four five is likely. You know, I, that was one of the straight draws. I mean, we yeah. talked about nine eight, but four five was yeah. would have played this exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, that so, being said, now that the heart's there, if he has four or five, he has to be concerned that we have the hearts. So I don't think it really changes too much. I don't. I'm not worried about straight raising us here, right? I'm thinking of check calling here, just because it's 380 in the pot. How much is he going to bet? If he even bets 200, I'm probably calling with three sevens. You know what I mean? So if he bets like 150, I'm definitely calling with three sevens, and I think he's bluffing at it. So, you know, if he got there with the straight, if he bets more than the pot, then to get back to the Scott Long thing, where you're like, was he just like betting that much because he uh, missed? See, I'm betting out of here. I think I have to bet out. Wait, he played it now? Uh, All right, well, so we bet out uh, representing the hearts, right? Yeah, and the guy just called us. So, was he just calling us with? Let's go back to your point of view, right? So, um, if he has smaller hearts, he doesn't want to give us a chance. I mean, at this point, if he's just calling, it, there's no hope of him improving, right? If he has small hearts, right? He thinks we have bigger hearts. He's dead, right? Right. So, you know, if he's calling, it could just be that he has small hearts and is not sure. But even if he's not sure, I think at that point, we bet out after he raises, I think he has to think his hand is dead. Well, here's the deal. Sure he has hearts anymore. I think we only have a bluff catcher. That's it. So, uh, to me, betting with a bluff catcher, to me, doesn't seem right. It seems like check call. I, I just, I just feel like... If I bet and he really isn't going to do anything because he was bluffing the whole way, I'm not going to get anything. But if he really has us beat, we only have a bluff catcher here because what hand right. could bet into us? I guess my point is is that we we this is a weird case where I think we need to put out a second blocking bet. So you're thinking if, if you put out like straight, he's not going to raise us. If he has baby hearts, I don't think he's going to raise us. So I think whatever we bet here is going to close out the action. Is what I'm saying. Unless he has a miracle boat here that we haven't figured out yet. Well, that's what I'm saying. What, what if he does have a boat? What if, well, he, if he does? The whole I mean, time you saw a plane. Now, I mean, well, pocket sixes might play it this way. No, we already discussed pocket sixes. I can't see the pocket sixes raising four times our bet on that flop when it makes a whole lot more sense to let somebody catch up. Yeah, that's true. Um, Doesn't say. I'm not saying it's not possible. No, no, I know, I know. Um, it's less likely. So at this point, I think. You're right. I think it's just a bluff catcher, but um, and we very well may be throwing this blocking bet away. But if we check and then let him set the price, now we've got to decide whether to call or not, right? Mm-hmm. And it's probably going to be more than our blocking bet. So I'm trying to keep the pot manageable 
which I wouldn't have done on the turn, but now that we did it on the turn, I think we got to do it again on the river here. So, I don't know, 200 or something. And knowing that it's very unlikely that he's capable of raising with how this board is now. And now I get to see for sure whether he has it or not. Hmm. This whole hand sucks now because we've been out of position. So I just think if I checked... As far, I want to see his card. You were talking about betting 200. If I check... I don't think he bets more than 200 on that river. He's going to want to get value for it if he's got the hand. He's not going to well, overbet he was bluffing, it. though. Now he puts out what we talked about on O'Malley. Now he puts out a big bet. To... I just feel like... At what level of money are you willing to put in with your three sevens here? Yeah. I mean, if I'm putting 200 in to start, that could be just throwing 200 away if he... Could be. You know what I mean? I, I would rather check call. 500, or let's say he checks and he bets 400. Are you going to call the 400 there? I, I don't know. Probably not, right? Yeah, but then I'm just if he's gonna. Ugh, that's only I if he's think bluffing. There's a good possibility that her hand is good here. I just don't know what hand. Not a great possibility, but good possibility. I, I want to see his cards. I guess is what I'm trying to get at this point. I, well, check call will do that. <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't want to. For his uh, price, though. That much, though, right? All right, I'm checking. All right, you're checking. I'm betting two hundred. All right, I'm checking. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, our hero says, I knew he would call any bet, so I checked. He checked behind <laughs> and flipped over seven of diamonds, ace of spades. A7. That's the first hand we said. It was suited, though. Not we thought it was going to be suited. suited. I know. We thought it would be suited. So I'm going to go back where he says solid young player and take the solid. <laughs> young player. <laughs> Um, so here says, so I was out kicked. I know I lost, and if I folded the re raise in the flop, I would have saved 160 total unless my read was correct. However, what do you think of uh, my th- uh, thinking process for the Turner River? Results oriented, I lost, but I don't think he could have called a $200 bet with four hearts on the board. Uh, oh, I didn't realize there were four hearts. Oh, the river was a heart, it wasn't three of spades. Oh, so the river's yeah, he said three of spades. That's only three oh. hearts. I don't know. And any boat would have uh, at least been a chop besides my eights. Oh, maybe he was saying if a heart came on yeah. the end, he couldn't have made any call with that. So I counted the hearts and board pairing is outside. 18 ounce in the river, any jack, six or eight or any heart. Uh, do you see any flaw in my thought process? Well, so, obviously we would play the hand. I would play the hand differently throughout it. I think he bets. I think he calls your $200 bet, though, and we lose it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that makes me feel a little bit indicated there. Well, <laughs> no, I checked. Know. Hold on, hold on. I will say absolutely. I'll say 50-50. I'm going to go 50-50. All right. What, what we're talking about with a blocking bet there is that he couldn't raise us with baby hearts or the straight because of the way we check a bet into him when the hearts got there on the turn, right? Yeah. So I think he had to be cautious. Uh, he's obviously not going to throw away his A7 to our $100 bet on the turn, right? Because now he's got boat outs and the pot's pretty big now. But now that he missed it, now he's going to start thinking of what we have. And the entire way we played this hand was consistent with a flush draw, I think. And we got there. So I don't I, I don't think it's a guarantee that he would have called that 200. I think there's a, a possibility that he would have. But yeah, maybe. I think, if anything, that was our mistake there, was that we, we should have put out yet another blocking bet, which would have turned out to be uh, a semi-bluff. That would have had some chance of working. Mm. All right, but then there's there's absolutely it was really very low in my mind that somebody would be playing a seven here and certainly not a non suited Yeah, there's no way I put him on a seven that way. I thought it was suited. If he's going to call a seven out, it was going to be ace of diamonds, seven of diamonds, not 
not on suit today. I was pretty poor. But then again, you know, there's all different ways you could have played this hand from the beginning. So very, very interesting, interesting hand. Very good. Nice job, David. All right, I'm Chris Casenza. I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.